Well, we're so grateful for so many of you here that are here this morning, uh, guests and friends, visitors, and uh, we believe that uh, God's word is what it's all about in this place. He said everything that he ever wants to say, and it's found in this very heavy book. And uh, this is an extra large print. I've got it just to make life easy on me this, these days. And, you know, I, I, I was told by someone today, you can put do not disturb on your phone. If you read it digitally, whenever you open up God's word, I would just put it on do not disturb. I found when I was reading God's word off of my computer devices, all of a sudden I started surfing the web. And then I started, you know, then a text message came in. Bloop, and then all of a sudden an email got, bloop, and then I'm all over the place. And then I'm like, man, I'm not focused here. Uh, Multitasking is a myth. You can do a lot of things at the same time, but you're not doing all of them with undivided attention. And so some things in life require captivated attention. And I think reading God's word is one of those things. And so I encourage you to do that as your pastor and hear all the great things that God has for you. And so what we do in this church is, is we pick sections of the Bible to preach through. We just want to walk through those sections and let God speak. And um, we have started a series called The Original Spoken Word, and we are focusing on the prophets. There are really three periods of history. The, the period of pre-exilic, where the Assyrians were the enemy, and they crushed the north, and then the Babylonians, when they were the enemy, and they crushed Judah, and then the Persians, when they were in captivity and came back. And all these prophets, we've gone through Joel and Obadiah and uh, a couple of others, and now we've been in Amos here, and... This is our second week in him. Now, we pause for holidays, Father's Day. Next week, by the way, not only will we have a pig, not only will we have a bull, um, along with, obviously, we're not a Jewish church, huh? We're eating pig in church. <laughs> but uh, on top of that, we have a very special guest. His name is Greg Hubbard. He's a dear friend, and he's an amazing evangelist. He goes around the world and speaks to crowds of 100 to 300,000 people. And then he comes back to New England where his native home is and he will speak in churches as small as 50 because he's not one of those guys that says the crowd has to be this size or anything like that. And uh, he also happens to be very athletic and he sweats a lot. So I told him to bring a towel and uh, he's just got Gatorade is coming off of him, man. But I guarantee you, your life will be inspired and encouraged and so I encourage you to honor the Sabbath on Father's Day and enjoy your barbecues after. Bring your father, bring your friends, and uh, join us here. And so join me as we pray for God to speak to us. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you for everything that's happened up to this point. And Lord, we don't want to hear the voice of a man. We want to hear the voice of God, and that's why we're letting the scripture speak to us. So today, as we look at Amos again, Lord, that you would help us to hear the truth that religion without relationship is ruin and help us to know that we're not in a religion with you we're in a relationship with you and if we need alignment with that today you'd speak to our heart lord we just say to you today speak your servants are listening we want we want to know your voice we want to hear your voice and so that's why we open your word is to let you speak to us in christ's name amen so this prophet Amos, the thing that I love about this guy, he's like a beatnik, roughnik. He's like a mechanic. He is a truck driver. He's a construction worker. In those days, those were the kind of things. The, the trades of the day back then were tending sheep and uh, tending fruit trees and tending harvests. And so Amos is this guy that his job, his professional job, is, is he's a sheep herder. 
and he is a tender of sycamore trees. And sycamores are actually the tree that produces a certain type of fruit in the Middle East. And what's amazing about this job that he had is that in order to ripen the sycamore fig, you had to take a poker. They had these little hooks, and they would poke every single one of the figs. And that would force the fig to ripen so that it was edible. So his professional job was to help sheep follow him, to find lost sheep, to protect the flock. Sounds like somebody we know by the name of Jesus, right? And so he's, he's after going after the 99, leaving the 99 to go after the one. He's, he's caring for sheep, protecting them from wolves, from bears, from lions. He's, he's feeding them. He's bringing them beside still waters. He's bringing them down to green pastures. He is a shepherd. But not only that, he understands sometimes a piercing can produce fruitfulness. And what's amazing about this guy is that his word is almost as sharp as his tool that he used to, to, to poke the figs that he would professionally do. And God, God says to him, listen, Amos, I know you're a sheep herder and I know you're a, a, a fruit tree worker, but I got a message I need to speak and I'm wondering if you will leave near Jerusalem where you are and go over the border into Israel. Uh, I, I have a message for them. He's like, all right, fine. He, he's probably one of the shorter prophets. There's a guesstimate on how long he spoke. Think about two months potentially, but not really sure. Some of these prophets spoke over years, some decades. But this guy is just like, all right, I'm going to take all my sick time and my vacation time. I'm going to go speak and then I'm going to come back home and uh, I'm just obeying what God wants me to do. And what I think you should get from Amos is this, for those of you that love the Lord, that are in his word, that uh, feel the sense of what it is to, to have purpose in Christ, that God can call anybody to speak prophetically, that God can, and when I say prophetically, that you hear the heart of God, you see the condition of man, and you see the word of God, and you're able to bring that. However, that's always in submission and yieldedness to leadership, because the Bible talks about authority. We just don't let anyone kind of go through and speak words because we want to make sure that people's life and their fruit is fruitful along with their gifts and giftings. Sound good? So that's Amos. He's not afraid to give you a poke there because he knows that if you let it do its work, it's going to ripen you. But the condition of Israel was really tough. And if I had a title for my message, which I do, it would be, I was just thinking of, that doesn't make sense. If I had a title, well, I've got a whole slide. I wrote a title down. So here it is. The title of my message today is this, Religion Without Repentance or Relationship Leads to Ruin. Let me say it one more time. Religion without repentance or relationship leads to ruin. Now, just to sum and bring us back up to speed, Amos is going into the north in probably one of its most prosperous seasons it's ever experienced. In fact, the prophet talks about how they didn't just have homes, they had summer homes and winter homes. And there is nothing wrong with that. If you're here today and you have two homes or you have rental properties, there is nothing wrong with that. The problem with Israel was is that they had all of those things and they did not glorify God. In fact, some of them had those things because they were exploiting the poor. So there is nothing wrong with that if your possessions do not possess you. But they, they, they had a winter home and a summer home. And in fact, they, some of them were so luxurious, they had rooms and homes made of ivory. I mean, that's like serious bling. They had couches of ivory and they lived in lavish luxury. 
but they were indifferent towards the poor. Not only that, but they were in this height of a boom of religion, right? You didn't just have to go... In the, in the day when Israel was unified, everybody came together to church in one place called Jerusalem. But now, don't worry about Jerusalem. They split from the kingdom, and the north said, we don't want to do life, and we don't want to do church with you anymore. We've got our own thing. We don't need you. And so they set up all of these temples all over the place. They put one up in the city in the north of, of a city called Dan, which for those of you going to Israel with us, in next March, you'll be in that place. There was another one that they set up in the city of Bethel, right near the border of, of Judah and Israel near Jerusalem. They had another one in the place called Gilgal. And in fact, they even used to celebrate and worship in the place where Abraham lived called Beersheba. And they would, they would go down there, be, you know, rugged living, the way of Beersheba, the independent spirit. It, they, they're just, they, you look at them and you're like, man, they've got all the money, they've got all the churches, they've got all the temples, they've got all the stuff. And, and, and yet they were so lost. They were so far from God. It is so hard to hear a strong word from the Lord when everything's going right because we do the dangerous thing is, is that we interpret our circumstances of favorable physical settings sometimes as the favor of God and it not always is the same. And so Amos shows up in this town denouncing their altars, denouncing their condition of their heart and he says to him, hey, listen, religion without repentance or relationship with God is going to be your ruin. You've got churches, but you don't have repentance. You've got temples, but you don't have relationship with God. You have, you have the, what looks like blessing, but you don't have a connected brotherhood with the God who loves you. You're not in direct connect with him. You're showing up, you're doing these things that are churchy and religious, but you're not in relationship with him. And because of that, it's going to lead to your ruin. See, God wants a personal relationship with your life. And I mean, we should be flattered with that. The God of the universe, who knows, who put the stars in their place that could touch one universe with the thumb and the tip of his pinky and the span of his hand and is able to touch Orion and the nebula and the Milky Way and another place. He's just, that's who, and he wants to be your God. That he knows your thoughts before you think them, that every hair on your head is counted real time as they're falling out, as they're growing into your children. And it's in this time that Amos shows up with a message of pending judgment and a call to repentance and everybody's like, what are you talking about, dude? Everything's going great. Just, in fact, we talked last week, our message was when earth told heaven to shut up. They're like, hey, shut up. Go back down to Judah. Things are going good here. You're ruining a good thing. Don't give us bad news. Don't want to hear it. See, religion can have all kinds of signs of divine favor and rituals and relics, but religion without repentance with Jesus Christ equals no relationship with God. Religion without repentance leads to ruin. And if you would turn with me to the book of Amos, chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some right in the chair right in front of you. I haven't brought much attention, but isn't this great? We're like in transition of new stuff. 
like anything is progress from the old 30-year-old carpet. It's pretty good. So I'm kind of, uh, by the way, I didn't choose any of the colors or anything. I hired a professional designer because I didn't want to hear any of you come up to me and be like, I don't like that. And I just, guess what? Didn't do it. Don't want to hear it. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> Please do not email me. Please do not talk to me. I totally looked. I said, great. I don't have to make that decision. Looks awesome. In fact, I was asking for green chairs. Aren't you glad I didn't get my way? Um, so so don't, don't complain to the pastor. If he was trying to do it all, it would have been, it would have been, it would have led to ruin. <laughs> Chapter 4, Amos, starting at verse 6. What Amos is going to do is, is he's going to read through a whole bunch of things that are happening or have happened to the people in Israel. Bad things, challenges, setbacks. Now, I, you'll always hear me as a pastor up here to, to say to you, you know, be careful that you just don't interpret bad situations as God punishing you because you can get yourself in a real depressed state and if you lock into the fact that God wants to hurt you and not help you that's a difficult place to be but on the other hand God doesn't want to have to bless what you do he wants to to or do what you you know he wants us to do what he can bless and if we're living in direct contradiction to God's word and to God's truth he can't bless that and so what he is willing to do is send some difficult situations our way to get our attention. The question is, is do we know his word and do we know his ways enough to, to, to dial into that? And what Amos is going to do is, is he's going to read a whole bunch of situations that happened. And really all Amos is doing is, is he's comparing what's going on in the culture with Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. And he's saying, hey, God said that when you turn your back on him that he will turn off the water which brings the which brings the ability for your harvest to to grow and you know he he will squeeze the paycheck he will he will cause like things to go sideways or to go backwards and and he's not doing it to punish you or to be cruel or vindictive he's doing it because somewhere along the line your heart disconnected in a relationship with him and he's trying to get your attention to remember that you were called to be in a direct connect with heaven not to go through rituals and those kind of things throughout this thing called church he wants a relationship with us and that's what amos is going to do here having said that let me read through this and you'll see a verse a phrase that comes up over and over again and amos is famous for this that rhymes i just realized that um he said for three sins and four i will not relent the punishment I will send fire. For three sins and four, I will not relent the punishment. I will send fire. And he did that with all the nations. Now he says this phrase over and over again that says, yet you still have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Listen to it. Chapter four, verse six. I gave you cleanliness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Also, I also withheld the rain from you when there were three months to harvest, there's a thing called the latter rain that happens in Israel. When it pours, it brings the harvest to just explode. And God just said, now nah, I'm going to hold back on that. You ever notice you get real religious when difficulty strikes? Sometimes when blessing happens, we, we forget God. Not everybody, but it's kind of human nature. Verse 7, I also withheld the rain from you when... 
you were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain in one city and no rain in another city. One field would have rain and a field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied yet. You did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and vineyards, your fig trees and your olive and the locust devoured. Yet, you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence, the manner of Egypt. I killed the young men with the sword. I carried you away with horses and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Think of this. He says, I didn't make the season favorable for your business of harvest to prosper. I, even what was harvested, I sent mildew and blight. In other words, even what you, you, you gathered together, I caused it not to be blessed. Even what you were able to gather. I sent war in your direction to get your attention. All of these things God's saying, and yet, you didn't return to me. I overthrew some of you when... As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. You ever hear that saying, prepare to meet your God? That's where it comes from, right out of Amos. Prepare to meet your maker. Prepare to meet the judge of your life. He's, he's saying to his people, he's like, I'm going to introduce myself to you. I know that you have churches in Bethel and Dan and Gilgal and Beersheba, but you have no idea who I am. You're not in a relationship enough to even recognize that I'm trying to get your attention. You're just seeing it as setbacks and problems, but it's me trying to get your heart to return to me. And he goes on, jump down to verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word that I take up over in you, lamentation, O house of Israel, fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out with a thousand shall have, uh, shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to wipe away 90%. Verse 4, for thus says the Lord, of Israel, uh, the Lord to the house of Israel. Listen to this, and this is where he hinges it from, hey, do you see a pattern here? And then he goes and he says, seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over into Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph and devour that none can quench it for Bethel. See why he's a perfect fit for this sycamore poking. Comes up and says, it's all going to burn and it's, you didn't see it coming, but it was right there in your face. God bless. Have a nice day. It's like, whoa, dude, like what's wrong with you? You ever have a friend that jokes with you and they just run in there like, yo, dude, somebody just hit your car and you're like, what? Are you kidding? They're like, ha just joking. I hate that kind of joking, by the way. Don't ever do that to me. Religion without repentance leads to ruin. 
you know, the phrase that pops up over and over again, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord, is a Hebrew word called shuv. In fact, if I want to take a seat, if I want you to take a seat in Hebrew, if I, if I want to say it in Spanish, I say, siéntete, por favor. But if I want to say it in Hebrew, I'll say, shuv ala kise, or if I, I want you to please take a seat, or um, shuv ala kalka, have a seat on the, the floor, you know. But shuv literally means a radical change of position and posture. It's normally in walking in one direction and then I shuv, I turn. It's a behavioral change. It's a physical change. It's a visible change. And so every time you read, yet you did not return to me, it's this shuvi, this, this return to me. And if you're turning to God, it means that you're turning away from the thing that hindered your relationship with him. Luke chapter 13, verse 3 says it like this. No, I tell you the truth, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The founder of the Salvation Army over a hundred years ago made a statement. I have it somewhere totally different in my message, but it actually really makes sense right here, so I'm going to read it. He said this, he said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century, he's looking a hundred years into the time that we live, he says this, will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell, and every single one of those I've seen within the church context in the day that we live. He called it 100 years ago. So that's the challenge of the future. Religion, uh, uh, relationship or religion without the Holy Ghost, but then he said forgiveness without repentance. And what God is saying is is saying, in what Jesus is saying here, and what Amos is saying is, is that in order for you to have a relationship with God, you need to have repentance in your life because religion without repentance or relationship will lead to ruin in your life. And it's amazing through the years how I've seen so many people do church, but they don't do Jesus. They don't do repentance. It's like the Fonz, right? Happy days. I'm only going to miss half of the audience here. But whenever you say, hey, are you sorry? He'd always be like, I'm He can't say sorry. When Jesus confronted Nicodemus and the guy was a genuine man, he's struggling. He's like, what are you talking about? Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again, unless they repent and die to the old life and are raised in newness of life. And that's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. You see, you don't vote for Jesus. Some people try Jesus like they vote for something. Some people try Jesus like a fitness program for their moral betterment. But it doesn't work like that. The only way that Christianity works is through repentance. Saying, I am a sinner, you're a savior. I am wrong and deserve your judgment. You're a God, you love me and can forgive me. God, this isn't a fair trade, but take my sin. I'll take your, your, your forgiveness and, and your grace. And th- that's how it works. And in the 21st century, what, what, uh, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't scare me, but it just... I look and I'm like, so many people are confused in the church today because we don't, we don't have sin anymore. We have issues. We have struggles, right? Man, I, I, I got to struggle with alcohol. No, you're drunk. 
Drunkenness is sin, by the way. That's what the Bible says. That much I can say, right? Uh, I got I got to struggle with anger. No, bro, you you got a problem with anger, which is sin, which is one of the seven deadly sins of wrath. And you need to let the Holy Spirit get a hold of your life because better is one man who controls himself than one that can go in and take an entire city single-handedly. See, we have redefined things. Instead of calling them sin, we've called them struggles. We've called them issues. We've called them weaknesses. But all that is is buffering us from what we need to do, which is called repent. Repent. Well, what in the world does repentance look like? You know what? The... The Bible, at least here in Amos, first tells us pretty clearly, at least we know it's a turning. It's a, I'm going in one direction and I, I spin it in another. And 2 Chronicles 7.14 uses the same Hebrew word that really makes the point strong here. He says this, he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and hear their land. You know, so many times I'm like, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And God's saying, if you will seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin and heal their land. But we want God to bless what we're doing instead of realizing that God can only, he wants us to only do what he can bless. Do you track that? He's saying, I'm not going to throw my, I, I worked in this mortgage company years ago and they used to call me the Rev. Some incredible, incredible miracles and stories happen in there. But, but my boss used to be like, Rev, pray for this loan to close. And if it goes, I'm going to give you a $1,000 bonus. And so I would pray like this. I'd be like, Lord, I just pray right now. You know that I want $1,000, but you know that I want us to do right by this person. So if this loan is going to hurt this person, I pray that you cause it to fail. And he'd be like, whoa, hold on, Reverend. What are you doing? I'm saying, like, what do you want me to do to ask God to bless what we're doing or for us to do what we bless? And uh, sometimes they closed and sometimes they didn't. And I didn't mind the odds that way. It just turned out to be a blessing from God. But, but we got to do what God can bless, not ask God to bless what we do. So repentance is literally... A, a turn it's a, there's a there is an aspect of repentance that is behavioral there are some people that are like jesus you my lord you understand my weakness and it's like no bro you know what just, just stop it like seriously stop pretending like you're repenting and just it's all words man it can't just be all words it has to be deed as well as word you gotta change your life you gotta change and here's the thing when you turn it doesn't mean that you still won't hear those voices. I remember one of my pastors used to say this, I've never met anyone who didn't continue to call out to God for help and grace and mercy that sooner or later got far enough away from the struggle and the issue that they were free indeed. And in fact, when God led the children of Israel and we were singing about it, you split the sea so I could walk right through it, right? When God did that, the Bible said that and then the, Is then the enemies of Israel, the, the, the pharaohs, the, the army of Pharaoh went into the sea and it swallowed them up never to be seen again. Let me tell you what, you might be struggling with a sin and God knows you're human and he knows you're weak, but it doesn't, you could be, you could be a million miles. I would rather be three inches away from hell with my back to it than a million miles walking towards it. And I can turn my back on a situation and I might struggle with it and I might fight with it and I might wrestle with it. But if you continue to call out in repentance and in help asking God for the presence of God to help you sooner or later, he's going to swallow up that enemy and you will be free indeed. He can do it. 
But repentance isn't just about turning your behavior, and that's the one that most people don't dial into, but it's all, it also has to do with your thinking. Uh, do you know how they trap elephants? They, they raise them at a very young age where they tie a, a rope or a chain and they put it to a spike in the ground, and they try as a, as a baby elephant to get away as hard as they can. But when they do that, they have conditioned them so well so that when they're a full-grown elephant, they can still put the chain on them and stick it in the ground and they won't even attempt to be free. They have so conditioned the elephant. He could pull that thing in a car connected to it, no problem, but he won't because his thinking's all wrong. Repentance also is a change of thinking to know, hey, listen, number one, it has to be a thinking of faith to be like, wait a second, God said he can do this. That means he, he can do it. And I just need to keep believing that God has the power to change this. And, and I can't change it, but he can. And I, he said for me to pray. You know what I find about Christians? They talk about prayer and they think about prayer, but not a lot of them pray. Prayer means like you're like, stop, pause, connect, Jesus I need your help in this situation that we talk to God, that we speak to him. He says this in Romans 12 too about the thinking aspect of repentance. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's so many times the things that I thought were right about my thinking, when God brings me a little closer into the circle, I realize my thinking was all wrong. I changed my thoughts aren't his thoughts. So, so it's, it's repentance is, you know, one way it's choosing a behavioral path, but it, there's also, an, and it's also changing our thinking, but there's also an emotional aspect to repentance. Biblical repentance is a change of behavior. Biblical repentance is a change of thinking, but biblical repentance is also a change of emotion. And every time that Amos says, I did this, I did that, I did this, and still you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I did this, I did that, I did this. Still you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I did this, I did that, I did this. Still you didn't get the message. You didn't get the memo. You didn't dial in. You didn't dial up. I, I tried motivating you here to turn to me that I could help you, but still you did not return to me. Seek not Bethel, seek not Gilgal, seek me and live. And there's a literal, there's one word that's used uh, in Hebrew, it's nacham, it's, it's, to, it's used for repentance, but it's a grieving. It's a, oh my God, please forgive me. You know, it's interesting that the, the woman of indiscretion in the book of Revelation, she's called the Whore of Babylon. It's in the Bible, so I can say that in church. But it says this, that she wipes her mouth and she says, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. And yet, that's what I see over and over again with certain sin issues, is, is that people, when it comes to repentance, genuine repentance isn't just like a, I'm going to change my behavior and I'm going to change my thinking, but it's also an emotional aspect of, of being broken. And in fact, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says it so well. It says, for godly grief, godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. Sometimes I pray a prayer. I'm like, oh God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. God, help me to see my sin the way you see it, not the way that I see it. Because I'll make peace with anything. I'll live with anything. But God won't. He wants to change me. Listen to this definition of biblical repentance. 
coming from Millard Erickson's book, Christian Theology, Dr. Hodge. It says this, real repentance is sorrow for one's sin because of the wrong done to God and the hurt inflicted upon him. David said it like this in the Psalms, against you and you alone have I sinned. You see, so many times when it comes to sin, we're worrying about covering our tracks and, and making, minimizing our image damage maintenance and all that kind of stuff. But a real repentant person is like, oh God, it doesn't even matter about everybody else. I got to get it right this way first. You and you alone have I offended. Please forgive me. What, you want me to apologize to those people? No problem. I'll totally do it. You've, some of you have heard my story and it, it just fits here, but one of the things that I had a lot of things that I had done that could have racked up multiple federal charges. And when I was led to Christ, I, I had one of those moments where, where it was just a come to Jesus moment. I wept. I was broken. And then I, my pastor said to me, Paul, there's something that a lot of people don't do in this world anymore. It's called restitution. It's not just saying, thank you, Jesus, but it's also saying, I am sorry to the people that you hurt. You've done it with God. Now you need to do it with man. I'm I packed a bag. I was like, I'm going to prison, but I'll do it. And he took me around to place after place after place. And he went in there with me and said, listen, Paul had a great thing happen in his life. And he just wants to share with you. But he's a different person now. He's a Christian. I'm a pastor. I, I will forever thank this pastor for doing this for my life. Because he told me, he showed me that real change happens with real repentance. And so I walk in and, and I'm like, hey, I, I stole so much from you. Hey, I destroyed this. I did that. And, and everybody afterwards, they, they just, it was like I was free and clean and clear. My conscience was clear. My life was clear. But, but the thing about it is, is that in the second half of this definition, it goes with that behavior. It says this, the sorrow is accompanied by a genuine desire to abandon sin. There is regret over the sin irrespective of the personal consequences. You see, I was willing to go to prison for a long time simply because I needed to apologize for something that I did. There are two things in my house my boys can tell you that make me go nuts, even three or four, to keep with Amos. Number one is the word I can't. Because a lot of times when people say, I can't, they're saying, I won't. The Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It doesn't mean that it won't hurt, it won't be weak. But the second one is this. I have zero tolerance for somebody that cannot say, I am sorry. I was wrong. That's pride. And in fact, believe it or not, one of the deadly sins is pride. It's not heroin addiction. It's not prostitution. It's pride. Because it keeps you from getting all that God wants to help you with in your life. It'll destroy you. This is a trustworthy saying, and it's worth repeating. My feelings, my thoughts, and my actions can deceive me, but a repentant relationship with Christ will save me. Listen, listen to it again. My feelings, thoughts, and actions can deceive me, but a repentant relationship with Christ will save me every time. Why? Because religion without repentance is no relationship with God. It leads to ruin. It's a, and here's the thing. One of the hardest things to do is to stop something cold turkey. Most of you in this room, like me, you've, you've, you've conquered drug addiction. Um, there are lots of addictions. There are sexual addictions, drug addictions. Some of, uh, my, the recent addiction in my life is Little Debbie Cakes. I just love them. I can't kick them. And she, she is ruining me. I might be homeless because of her. But, but uh, 
One of the hardest things to do in your life is to go cold turkey, to be doing something and then just walk away from it. That's hard. And what they say, whoever they is, right? They're, they're all over the place. They say is the best way to end a bad habit is to start a new habit. The best way to end an old sin is to start a new righteous behavior. But here's the problem is, is that God doesn't work on a merit system. You see, this is where people get busy and they're like, I really feel ashamed for my sin. I really feel in bondage to it. So Jesus, yeah, come into my life. I want your moral fitness program for my life. And, you know, if I do the Daniel fast, that's actually going to make me healthy. I'm not only going to be close to God, but I'm going to be healthy too. And, you know, all these kind of crazy things that we do. But really, we forget that we're not alone. That God promised to send his Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth, to help you find a way of escape. When Abraham came before God, he said, Abraham, this is what I want to do with your life. And Abraham, it was like he held open an empty hand and he said, yes, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you can do it. And this is where you have to be careful not to get in a moral fitness program or not to get in this kind of like reform your behavior or my life's going to be better now because I'm going to clean up my act. You're never going to clean up your act. Well, if I'm good enough, you're never going to be good enough. Well, if I just get myself dialed in, you're never going to be fully dialed in. God doesn't work like that. What God does is, is when somebody realizes that they're far from him, they stop and they say, oh God, I'm a sinner, you're a savior. I deserve to die for my sins, but you died for me. You have forgiveness. I have wickedness. But if you're willing to make that exchange, here's my sin. And Jesus says, I couldn't wait for you to ask. Here you go. You're righteous. You're forgiven. I did it for you. And now what you do is, is you turn your back on all of those things, on your anger issues, on your drug issues, on your addictive issues, and you begin to walk, not with an empty hand looking up to heaven, but you grab the hand of the Holy Spirit and he begins to walk with you. And he's flicking away the failures. And he's flicking forward your life. And sometimes you might trip and fall. Sometimes you might look back over your shoulder, but you know what? He's right there and he's like, we're going to get this right. And sooner or later, I've always seen it happen if you continue to cry out to God for deliverance and chain and help in your life. Sooner or later, There'll be so much space between you and that issue. God will swallow up that enemy like the, like the Egyptian army, never to be seen again. Never to be seen again. But it happens with an empty hope and hand of faith. And what's amazing to me is, is that the people of God misinterpreted the circumstances. They didn't realize that they lacked relationship. If you were to ask the people of Amos' day, you know, what's going on? He'd be like, well, God's blessing us. God's blessing us. And God would be like, Things are going good, but you need to do what I bless in order for the story to end well. And here's the thing. Last week we talked about this, that God judged all of the nations and then he turned to, he judged them for genocide and, and murder and all that. And then he turns to Judah and he says, for you have thrown off my law and thrown off my word. I mean, like he throws his people in that same category of judgment simply because they have not been in his word. Why? Because if you get into the 
to the word of God, the God of the word will get into your life. You'll be confronted with things that need to change. You'll be encouraged with things that can change. You'll be inspired with his ability to change it in your life. And that's why as a church, we need to have a relationship with God by being in his word. And anyone that was in the word would have known everything that Amos was saying was simply found in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. He was just pointing the obvious. He's like, hey, God said this, and that's what's going on, and he wants you to return to him. Why don't you, why is it that you can't make this connection and you can't see that this isn't a setback, this is a sin, and that you don't need to get yourself in shape, you need to get uh, into repentance, because if you do that, and I'll tell you what, it has amazed me through the years to watch somebody who is so messed up, and Jesus just comes in and radically, instantly changes and fast tracks their life, because that's how God works with a repentant life. It's instant. It's fast-tracked. I was just on the phone with Dylan Allen. You remember Dylan Allen? He was a kid that ran up here and wanted to do the Lord's Prayer and then couldn't do it. And then turns out he had a raging meth addiction, crack addiction, uh, all kinds of stuff. He's going to be here, by the way, September 29th with Teen Challenge to share his story with us. But he's at Teen Challenge. He's growing. He's blossoming. He's changing. God's fast-tracking that young man's life because he took a posture of repentance with Jesus. Repentance doesn't give us the courtesy of image maintenance. It just doesn't. Jesus said it like this. You know, because it's easy when you look at God, you'd be like, well, what's up with God? You know, what does he have to make everybody say sorry and I'm wrong? And, you know, what does he want to do? Punish me? Does he want to, like, humiliate me? No. The Bible says this. The Lord is slow to fulfill his promise, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance sometimes when i look back over my life i'm like man god should have stopped there but he kept patiently working with me aren't you grateful for the patience of god and here's the thing too i know uh you know my sons will get upset with me when i come down hard on them for things right it's like prison in house man but the Bible says this, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens every son whom he receives. What I would be concerned for your life is, is if you are blatantly engaged in things that you know is not pleasing to God and he's not speaking. See, God harasses us and convicts us and draws us because he wants what's good for our life. Because he's a good father. Because he knows that religion without repentance and without relationship will lead to ruin for your life. Uh, this is probably the easiest way to understand this. And by the way, uh, Chris and Kayleen were just married last week. I noticed just out of the corner of my eye, you guys are here. Congratulations. Welcome back from Maui or Mexico or wherever in the world you were. Had the privilege of, of participating in their wedding. It was really, really elegant. It was a good time. And uh, just, but think about this those of us that are married, and then if you're not married, think of it from dating relationships, right? When it comes to, the, my wife brought this out to me recently, but she said this, she said, marriage, this is a perfect example of free will. This is, marriage, I'm convinced now, I, the reason why I will never be a Calvinist is because of marriage. It's a great example of it, because you have to choose the person that you love, you have to continue to work with the person that you love, you have to continue to 
give and take with the person that you love. It, you're in it because you choose to be in it. And you have to continue to, to pony up and take, take your steps. And I've heard it said that marriage is 50-50, but no, it's not. It's actually 100-100. And you need to give your 100% when that person has zero, and that's what retanks the relationship. Uh, it's not about what the other person should do. It's about what we're doing. And God, forgive me because... I think there are sometimes in my life, if I navigated my relationship with Jesus the way I navigated my dating or sometimes the way that I clumsily navigate my marriage, I'd be dumped or divorced in days. See, marriage is a give and take. And here's the thing, too, is, is uh, you know, when you're young and you get married, usually the phrase that you always hear all the time is, we think exactly alike. I'm like, no, you don't. But I know I can't say that to you right now. By the way, just to their defense, they didn't say that when we were going through premarital counseling. So uh, they were mature about it. But that's at Bible college. And when people are dating, they're just like, we just think exactly alike. I'm like, no, you don't. You're going to find out. You want to be upset with somebody, just marry them. You be in a house with a week, you'll be upset with them. With a month, you'll be frustrated with them. With a year, you'll want to kill them. <laughs> and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> the end. But sometimes what we do is, is we actually create idols in our own life. And uh, I love how St. Augustine said it like this. He says, idolatry is using that which should be worshipped and worshipping that which should be used. And so we get the American dream of the white picket fence and the house and the, you know. But, but let me tell you what, when your life's falling apart, dollars cannot hug you. Houses cannot embrace you. Lawns can't manage and manicure your emotions. In fact, they just actually are fodder for the ugliness of a divorce. The difference between a house and a home is one simple thing, and it's called love. Just like I always say, this isn't the church. Burn it to the ground. We'll meet somewhere else. Your, your wood building that you live in or your brick building, that's not your home. This is. The relationships that are in there are the home. And here's another trustworthy saying that's really worth repeating. A relationship is sustained by honesty, affection, and commitment through action. Listen, a relationship is sustained by honesty, affection, and a commitment through action. Why would we think that it's any different with Jesus? Why would I think that if I ignore my wife, she wouldn't get upset with me if I ignore my God? that it would create distance. It's like that classic Southern saying, Southern couple, we'll say they're from West Virginia because I just want to pick on Pastor Caitlin. They come into the pastor's office and the wife's like, we're not in love anymore. And he, the husband's like, no, we sure are, honey. I don't know what your problem is. And he said, no, we aren't. And the pastor says, well, what's the problem? He says, he done said, I love you at the altar, and I haven't heard it once since over the last 10 years. And the, the husband said, honey, when I was at the altar, I said it and I mean it. Ain't no need for me to say it again. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you can't just say it once and that it counts. You have to continue to recaptivate and capture the heart of that person. You have to continue, and, and, and if this is the way that it works in our real relationships, why would we not think that it works that way with Jesus? Why would we not think, and after all, we're called the bride of Christ, right? 
But the Israelites in, in Amos' day were acting like the bride of Frankenstein. So what does God do? He says, it's really simple. You see, what I find is, is that sometimes the distance that I create because of my sin, because of my attitudes, because of my actions, because of my thinking, it, it, it just it creates a space between God and I that I look back over and I'm like, there's no way I'm crossing that distance. And God's saying, it doesn't matter. Seek me and I'll find you. Seek me and live. I had a, uh, we're, we're going to be taking a group of people to Israel next year in March. And uh, some of you are here this morning. It is, I, I feel safer there than I do in the United States of America. Really do. And uh, everybody's walking around with machine guns and they're there to protect you and protect the country. It's awesome. I'm like, yes, you know. But the thing about this is, is that just like in the United States, there are some cities where if you go in the wrong part of town at the wrong hour of night, it's just not wise. It's just not helpful. It's just not safe, you know. But I, I in all the years that I went, uh, we could never afford. Uh, most of the time I went, uh, somebody was sponsoring me. But this time we had sold our house and we said, you know what, we're going to make a memory. We're going to bring our kids. And so we brought all four of our children. And um, there's this one part in Jerusalem I'm sorry, all four, of, all four of my children. I have two kids. I have two kids with three wives and four states. <laughs> we brought all four of us and our two children were there. My wife's like, what are you talking about? Thank you. But Andrew, who's sitting in the front row there, um, who's about two years younger, we go to this place where it's the old city of Jerusalem and you go down this staircase and you make a right and you go through this tunnel that Hezekiah dug in the time of Isaiah. You come out by the, the, the pool of Siloam that Jesus healed the man born blind, put mud on it and he washed his eyes and sent him to, I mean, it's just amazing. But the problem about this place is this is one of the few places where you just don't want to go in the wrong direction. And so if you don't take that right and you go down those steps, you are in a section of the city called Selwan, which is fostered some really nasty people that are just terrorist-like. And the cars that drive down there have metal over the windows so that, because they throw rocks and no regard for life. And, and it's fine if you stay in the right places, but this was one of those places. And I'm like, oh my goodness, where's Andrew? We could not find him. I'm running all over the place. I can't find him. I turned to one of the pastors that was there, Pastor Jamie from Calvary. I said, Jamie, I cannot find Andrew. And he starts running. We're looking everywhere. And so finally, I go up to the Israelis and I say to them, my son, I can't find him. I don't know where he is. They're like, this is okay. Don't worry about it. I know what I'm dealing with. And I turn to them and I say, I think he went down the steps into Selwan. And they pick up the radio and they go, and all of a sudden, like the entire Israeli defense force and the city of David are running all over the place because they know as well as I do that if he has wandered into Salwan, his life is in danger. If he stayed on the path, it was fine. Some of you are like, I, I will not lose you in Israel, Pastor Paul. I promise, I swear, I won't lose you in Israel. This is like one of the few places. And we looked everywhere and finally we got somebody over the speaker and said, he's right here. And we walk up and he's there and he's crying. He's like, dad, you know, like a man though. He's crying like a man. <laughs> 
But he was sitting there and he had a bird that he was feeding out of his hand and he just lost track of what was going on. And that's kind of what it happens. is something innocent that we're doing that just distracts us and then all of a sudden we, we're lost. We can't find God. I had another friend whose mom dropped him off at a, at a curb and she said, I'll be back. And she left and she never came back. He was nine years old. He sat there for two and a half days. And a guy drove by, saw him, picked him up, brought him to Sunday school, to, to a program called Royal Rangers. And he ended up starting an incredible movement of sidewalk Sunday school. But I'll tell you what, I think God is looking for us the way he look, that I looked for my son. That he loves you that he's not worried about what reason it was that you got lost or whether you were a good little boy or girl, it really doesn't matter. He, he wants to rescue you and he's not afraid to say something hard to you to bring about that ripening in your life. And he says it like this. He says, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not seek Gilgal. Don't seek the movement. Don't seek the move of God. The, the people in Amos' day, they knew all the Hillsongs United tunes and all the elevation worship. It says that they sat on their couches and strung the songs of David. They sounded like David. They sung like David. They struck the chords like David, but their heart was not aligned like David. You see, this isn't the temple. This is the temple, and this is the gathering of the saints, and you need, we need one another, but you need a direct connect with the God who loves you and you don't, what you don't need is the relic of church and the rectory of church and the, the religion of church. What you need is the relationship with the living God who sent his Holy Spirit that when you're trying to get free for something that you turn your back on it and it might be an inch away from you but it doesn't matter. He's got a hold of your hand and you're walking now in the right direction and it might take a little bit of time and it might take a little bit of distance but God will set you free sooner or later if you really truly do it and you won't warm up to this thing and you won't earn enough flyer points to get the right to be close to God you never did you never will it's a simple act of faith that says God I have nothing you have everything please forgive me and don't just save my life use my life don't just deliver me help me to deliver other people don't just bless me help me to be a blessing stand with me us to do something that someone did once through the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verses 23 and 24. David, in his prayer, this is the one where he says, Lord, you knew my unformed body. You saw me in my mother's womb. I'll be speaking next Monday at the state house with a gathering regarding a uh, abortion bill that the state of Massachusetts is trying to push through. If you would pray for me, I got invited to be one of the speakers for this and and just pray for me. Don't applaud me. Don't applaud me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. But but I have three minutes. I want. I pray that God would make those minutes count. But um, but David said this in it in that psalm where he said, "You knew me in my mother's womb. You knit me in my mother's belly." All the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. But this is what he prayed, and this is the challenge we're going to do here. He said, oh God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous or wicked way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting. I'd love for us to just take a moment 
and be honest to God here. You see, the whole time that I was talking, I, I don't have to bring your attention to your sin. The, the, the truth is, is that the whole time I've been talking, God's been putting his finger on it. How about we let his grace get upon it? So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, as we pause, like David said, my sin is ever before me. Lord, we could fill this altar and have people come up, but, but right now we, we pray to fill our lives. She would forgive us of our sin. That, Lord, we're going to do our part to turn. We're going to begin to stop making peace and excuses for our sin. We're going to, Lord God, we're going to stop riding the emotional roller coaster with our sin. We're going to begin to do what we can do, but, Lord, that's not going to be enough. What we need is your forgiveness and your Holy Spirit. So right now, Lord, I pray that the, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God across this room would be measured to everyone according to their need, according to their sin. Lord, you didn't come in the world to shame them because of their sin or to condemn them because of their sin. You came to save us from our sin. You died on a cross for us to be saved from our sin. And you sent your Holy Spirit so that we could pass that message and pay it forward. So Lord, today, we don't want to live in the past of what we've been chained to. We want to move forward in the grace that you've given us. We lay our sin at your feet. And now, Lord, I pray that you would fill your people with your spirit. And you would lead us, Lord, not only into all truth, but you say that when we are tempted, you will show us a way of escape. Lord, when we face our temptation again, Lord, help us to begin to look for that escape and to ask you, Lord, show me where's the way out. Where, where's the way out? Sometimes it's a when is the way out. It's not sitting around. It's getting out of there like Joseph, running out. Father, some of us, Lord, we need to do what the disciples did in the garden, that to pray that we do not fall into temptation. Lord, let that be part of our prayer life, that we would continue to bring our weakness and our sin and our failure before you, and that sooner or later, you're going to set us free. And God, that you want to pour out your blessing on this church. You want to pour out your blessing on your people. And Lord, 50% of that is setting us free. And 50% of that is setting us loose in the grace and glory of God. In the good things that you have for us. Lord, what good is it to sit on a couch and to sing songs only to have it all snatched away from us because we treated you like a religion instead of a relationship? Lord, forgive us. If we have to deal with our spouse and our children with love, and give and take what made us think that we didn't have to do that with you. Forgive us for the times that we acted spoiled. Forgive us the times when we acted selfish. Lord, forgive us for our sin. Now, Lord, would you grace us with blessing and with hope and with help. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Isn't God good? all the time. Amen. Father, I pray that you'd bless your people, you'd keep them, you'd cause your face to shine upon them, give them peace. Go in the grace of God. You can stay and pray. You can walk your way out. Just be mindful of the people in here that are kind of sitting around the presence of God. You're free to get your kids. Pastor Kaylin would want me to say that twice. You're free to get your kids. And uh, thank you so much for being in the house of the Lord today. God bless you as you go. Go in the grace of God.